The email is signed, Many Whiskers, Stephanie H. (laughs) I believe this is the greatest customer service email in the history of either customer service or email. But here's the most brilliant part about it. I am convinced, without having talked to Chewy, that it's a template. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. Joining us today is customer experience expert and chief experience officer at the experience maker, Dan Gingis. Dan has over 20 years of experience in customer experience and has held various leadership positions in marketing at companies such as McDonald's and Humana. Dan is also a keynote speaker, podcast host, and author on all things CX. Dan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. I am super excited about this conversation and I really appreciate being here. Me as well. There are so many things we have to cover today. There's so many topics we can talk about. But before we dive into all of that... Let's start out learning a little bit more about your background. What even got you into marketing in the whole in the first place? Sure. Well, I got into marketing in a strange way. I graduated from college with a degree in psychology and communications, which basically yeah. meant I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I responded to an ad in the student newspaper where I worked for a company that promised to teach me everything I needed to know about marketing. Well, I thought, okay, that sounds great. And so I went to work for the Danbury Mint, which is a high-end collectibles company. They sell plates, dolls, Betty Boop figurines, sports paraphernalia, all that sort of stuff. And I was there for four years and they did. They taught me everything I needed to know about marketing. I got to run my own programs, write the plans, execute on them. And I learned humorously enough that marketing is really psychology plus communications. And so I happened to major in exactly the right thing. I just had no idea until I went and did it. Then I went to business school. I got my MBA. And that was the first time literally that I ever took a marketing class. And so I started to learn that there was actually frameworks and structure to what I had been doing already. And then embarked on a career that, as you mentioned, touched on some pretty big companies. I spent almost 10 years at Discover Card. I went to Humana and McDonald's progressively growing in the marketing space while also dipping my toes into customer experience and really finding my passion there. And so ultimately, the universe had a couple of different plans for me. And one of them involved me ending up at a company that I really was not happy with at all. And so when I had an opportunity to leave there, I was able to start my own company. It was the right time. And I haven't looked back. I'm now in year five of that and absolutely loving what I get to do every day, which is mostly keynote speaking. I go around the country, if not around the world, and do speeches and workshops and trainings. And then I also do some customer experience coaching as well, which is kind of a one-on-one helping small businesses develop some of the skills that the large businesses have whole teams for. That is awesome. And so if you started out in the more broad sense of marketing, what drew you to customer experience or what kind of threw you right into that and what do you love about it? Well, when I was at Discover, I was recruited to a role that was called the head of digital customer experience and social media. This was back in 2012-ish. What's funny about that is at the time, I had never done anything related to digital customer experience nor had I done anything related to social media. So I asked the chief digital officer who was recruiting me, why do you want me for this job? Like, I'm flattered, but like, why'd you pick me? And he said, 
because I've been watching you in business meetings and you always have the customer's hat on when you are speaking in business meetings. You're always looking at business problems through the lens of the customer. And again, back in 2012, I think he was quite a visionary. He said, we got to start doing this in the digital space because digital experience and customer experience are becoming the same thing. He was absolutely right. And that moment really changed how I thought of what I did myself. Like I never thought of it that way. But when he said it, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I do look at things through the customer lens. And I do try to solve business problems while making sure that the customer ends up in a better spot too. And then as I learned more about it, I really liked the intersection of customer experience and marketing, which is where I have stayed through my career at the Experience Maker is, you know, I'm a believer that when you do customer experience right, your customers become your best marketers because they start talking about you. They start telling people, friends, family, social media followers about the experiences they had with your business. And that is word of mouth marketing, which is what all marketers are striving for. And so I love that those two things are intertwined. And that is really what I teach is how do you create those kinds of experiences? We've all had this happen, right? Nobody tells us to take out our phones. We just do it automatically. We're like, we got to capture this. And it might just be we want to capture it as a memory. It might be that we need to send it to our parents or our kids or our friends. It might be that we want to put it on our Instagram feed where 100,000 people are going to see it. There's all sorts of reasons why we want to share, but there's that moment. And I basically teach how to create those moments with your customers. So you don't have to ask them to share. They just want to do it because they love doing business with you. That is awesome. And I'm excited to dig a little deeper into that because so often on the show itself, we always ask about examples and analogies and things like that to really frame the thinking around all these different concepts that we talk about. And each and every single time that comes with an example of a great company. And whenever I'm giving an example, I'm doing exactly what you said. None of those companies are asking me to do any of that. And it's always ending up being me remembering a great experience or a great this or a great that. But we always talk about how it can be hard to curate that, or it's hard to just slap something on your company website and call it customer experience. So I'm curious to know how you've kind of explored this field and what you teach to your customers, because obviously you have your own firm, The Experience Maker, which is really exciting. So I'm curious to know what the ethos of the firm is and how you go about offering these unique services. Because this is something that I find is very unique for every single customer you probably have. For and sure. so I'm curious, how do you even break that down to a formula? Just tell me all about it. Well, broadly speaking, I'm a believer that customer experience doesn't have to be a multi-year, multi-million dollar transformational project. Because if it is, then it's skewed up against other multi-year, multi-million dollar transformational projects in the organization, and it rarely gets prioritized. I believe that customer experience is just a series of little things. It's a lot of little things. It's an endless series of little things. But when you break it down into the little things, it becomes so much more approachable. And that's really what I teach audiences. And, and my goal whenever I'm doing a keynote is that every person walks out of the room saying, I could do this. I could do it tomorrow. I don't need to even ask permission. I don't need a budget for it. I don't need legal approval for it. This is just about doing the little things that matter to customers and doing them better. And paying attention 
through all of the touch points that customers have with us. Because I define customer experience as how customers feel about every interaction they have with a company. And the feeling part's really important because perception is reality. If they feel that you're difficult to do business with, that's probably the reality for them. (laughs) The second thing is this every single interaction thing. This is what gets hard with bigger companies because all of the interactions are being run by different people in the company. The phone interaction and the digital interaction and the direct mail interaction and the advertising interaction and the social media interaction, those are all different teams. And yet to the customer, it's just one brand. They don't see the org chart behind it. And so there's so many opportunities to just consistently get better in customer experience. And that to me makes it so much more approachable All the examples that I share in my book, which is also called The Experience Maker, had to go through three filters. They have to be simple, practical, and inexpensive because otherwise people won't do them, right? If I tell you a great story about a wonderful hotel like the Four Seasons and the story ends in learning that it costs them a half a million dollars to do something for one guest overnight, which has happened, it's an amazing story and a terrific brand. But it's very hard to relate to because most companies don't have that kind of cash laying around to go make that kind of investment. And so I would much rather tell a story about a hotel that put in a 50 cent light at the bottom of their nightstands that is triggered when you put your feet on the floor and it lights the path to the bathroom in the middle of the night, which is brilliant because so many hotel rooms are really dark. And I have been victim of banging my hip against the bed or tripping over my phone cord or whatever's going to happen. I put my feet down and that light shines the way you're like, oh, like right in the middle of the night. You're like, this is amazing. And I went and looked at this thing and it's a 50 cent stick on light, right? And so those are the kinds of things that I love because anyone can do that. Anyone can go to Home Depot and get the 50 cent light. It's Mm -hmm. just paying enough attention to know that that 50 cent light is needed. And so that's really my approach. I do have a framework. Every good speaker and author has a good framework in terms of how to create these kinds of experiences, where to look for them, et cetera. But that's the general approach is the little things matter. Okay, interesting. And is this framework that you're talking about, is it the leaky bucket concept or is that something different? Because I also wanted to dive into that one as well. Sure. So that's not the framework, but the the leaky bucket concept, it's the problem that we're trying to solve. And it's perfect for a retention-oriented podcast because really what the leaky bucket says is almost every business has customers walking out the door without telling you. And those are the worst kind of customers. I would so much rather have a customer walk out the door yelling, screaming, and telling me everything's wrong because at least I could try to fix it for the next customer. Right. But that's not what usually happens. What usually happens is customers get annoyed and then they get more annoyed. And then something else happens. And they're all little things, but I just told you the little things matter. And so at some point, the little paper cuts, death by a thousand paper cuts, at some point, they just get to be too much. And the customer says, you know what? It's just too hard to do business with these people. I'm going to go somewhere else. Now, they don't leave a feedback form. They don't call and say, I'm out of here. Click. They just leave. And what's worse is where do you think they're headed? To your competitor. So you've lost a customer. They've gained a customer. It's a double loss. And so what the leaky bucket is about, there's a cartoon in my book that a friend of mine drew. And I joke that it's me in the picture because it's a stick figure, but he has no hair. So it was clearly me. (laughs) And he's sitting there with a net 
collecting the customers that are coming out of the leaky bucket. And that's what customer experience is. It's, it's preventing customers from leaving. That's number one. And then ultimately, it's about turning them into advocates, which is number two, talking about you. But that preventing from leaving is so critical because as you know, and as you say in your podcast, companies are spending so much money acquiring customers. If you don't spend any money to keep the customers, then all that money you spent to acquire can go right down the drain with a leaky bucket. Interesting. And I'd be curious to know what kind of questions should businesses be asking themselves to figure out really where the leaks are happening, how the leaks are happening? Because I'm sure it must be kind of hard to figure out where the leak is probably happening, no? Well, I think it's less hard today because we have so much data. If anything, we have too much data. And so really it's about trying to figure out which data points are most important. Let me give you an example from the credit card industry. So the credit card industry has unbelievable amounts of data. Literally every transaction that you've ever swiped on your card, your credit card company knows about. So they know where you shop, they know how often you shop, how much you spend, whether you're a McDonald's or Burger King person, they know all of that. Now, at some point, you might be offered a promotion for a different credit card. Maybe they're offering some bonus miles or some bonus cash or something like that. And so you decide that you're going to take that promotion. Now, all of a sudden, within a month's time, you go from spending $2,000 a month on your main card to spending $900 because you didn't get to move it all over yet, right? Now, that drop in literally less than a month's time should trigger somebody at your original credit card company to say, uh-oh, something's happening. She's on her way out. Somebody must have gotten her with some promotion. We got to convince her not to leave. That almost never happens. It almost never happens, which is why people switch so often, right? And yet the data is all there. We just have to capture it. And I even remember asking at Discover, and again, to be fair, this was 10 plus years ago, so I'm sure it's better now. But I remember asking the team that kind of managed this data, and their answer was, well, the data only gets updated once a month. So by the time we get it, it's too late. We better figure out a way to update our data more <laughs> often then, right? And I'm sure right now it's probably updated every minute. And yeah. so you can identify that more. I think there's other places that you can look as well. You know, there's a wonderful quote in my book that I wish I said, and I didn't. So I attributed it properly. But the quote is that customer service is what happens when customer experience fails. Absolutely true, right? Does anybody call customer service to say, hey, you guys are doing a great job? <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> they call because something in the experience broke or didn't meet expectations or whatever. I think it's a fair assumption for any company to believe that anybody that calls customer service at that moment has a greater likelihood of leaving than somebody that did it. Now, there's also data that shows that people who call customer service and get a great engagement with a customer service agent who is super helpful and helps them solve the problem are actually less likely to leave than someone who has never had a problem. And the reason for that is that that key moment, that key customer service moment, when I need you, what I'm trying to figure out is, are you there for me? Are you there for me at the moment that I need you? And if the answer is yes, I'm loyal forever. Perfect example of this is an insurance company. We pay our insurance premiums every single month. All we do is pay and pay and pay and pay. There's literally <laughs> no relationship with the insurance company until there's a car accident or a fire or something where we need to file a claim. Now we're going to figure out whether they're there for us. And if they are, we're going to keep doing business with them. We're going to love them. Maybe not love them, but we're going to be happy that we do business with them. 
if they're not there for us at the very moment where we need them, when the car accident happens and that's when you find out that your auto insurance doesn't cover it, what are you going to do next? You're going to look for a different auto insurance company, like, of course. And so that opportunity is a real pivot point. And so it's really about paying attention to the key moments in the experience, always listening to customers, and don't be afraid to ask for feedback. Yeah, a survey is great, but a better way to ask for feedback is to call up a customer and talk to them and Mm -hmm. ask them, what are we doing well? What do you wish we could be doing better? How can we be more helpful to you? And when you ask people and you're willing and open to the feedback, you will get incredible, detailed, useful feedback. You just have to be willing to sort of take the bad with the good because you're going to get both. I like that a lot, honestly, because I always think to myself, when you get asked for feedback surveys, when they're asking you for all your feedback and this, that, really, it's not that much effort on their end. And they're asking you to take time to do it on your end. And so I always wonder to myself, like people go through it so quickly because either it's a giveaway or something like that. But if they just took a little bit extra effort on that end to figure out how to gather the right data, they would get even better data as a result. But I really like everything that you discussed here because I think it really does come down to the small instances like you just said, like figuring out where and when these things are happening and actually just using the data in the right way because we do have access to so much data that we're able to work with it, understand it, learn from it, and take a couple punches on the bad feedback to get the good feedback as well and figure out where to go next. But it goes such a long way. And so I'm curious to know too, do you have any strategies for prioritizing areas where customer experience improvements can have the biggest impact and any examples of that? Well, I would start with the assumption that we have to create a culture where every employee truly believes that customer experience is their job, whether it's in their title or their job description, whether they're in the customer service department or not, every employee has an aspect of customer experience. So let's say you work in a finance department and your job is to send out invoices you don't ever even talk to customers. So you might think, well, I don't have any customer experience in my job, except that piece of paper or that PDF that you're sending is a communication point with a customer. And there's an opportunity to have an experience there. The question is whether you're going to take it. So I was at a restaurant in San Diego, a breakfast restaurant, and we were sitting at the breakfast bar and it's time to get the check. Now, in any business, The time at which we are supposed to exchange money always has a little bit of awkwardness to it, right? So how do we break that? How do we make that fun or interesting or different? So the bill comes, there's a card and a receipt. The card is actually inserted into the tines of a fork. So they basically give you the fork with the card on it and the bill. And the card says, fork it over. And I was like, that's great. That's brilliant. Like, I'm in a totally different mood now because you just made me smile when it was time to pay the bill. And that's, that's incredible. Awesome. And then you know what? Of course, what happened next is I overtipped the waiter. Of course. Right? I was going to say you did definitely got a nice tip that day. Yeah. And so that wasn't hard. That was just a little bit of creativity. I think the questions you have to ask are, how can we be different from everybody else? Because generally different is good. And one of the funny things I see across all industries is when people are looking for inspiration on what they can do, they look at their competitors. That's the worst place to look. First of all, what are you going to do? Copy your competitors? Well, then you're not going to be very innovative. Second of all, your competitors are at best average. So what we have to do and what I teach clients and audiences to do is to look at industries that have nothing to do with our industry 
find great ideas, and then bring them back to our industry. So that person in the finance department of a SaaS company could take that example from the restaurant in San Diego and say, well, I send out invoices, I send out bills. What if I decided to make them a little fun? What if I figured out a way to create an experience when someone gets our bill? Okay, you're now in the customer experience business. And you can create a memorable experience when somebody least expects it. There's tons of companies that have also played around with really exciting things like legal disclosures. Imagine a world in which you wanted to read the legal disclosure (laughs) because they were so entertaining. I've got an example in my book where a company did that. And so what I did was I went to my own website and I rewrote the privacy policy on my website. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's probably only a dozen people in a given year that ever look at my privacy policy. But I can tell you the ones that do get a laugh because I made my privacy policy fun. Why? Because why not? If somebody actually cares enough to read my privacy policy, why not give them an experience while they're doing it? It's meant to show people that you can create an experience anywhere. So to get back to your question, rather than prioritizing, I think the answer is, You teach every employee through both inspiration and empowerment. Those are both very important, right? The inspiring part is to kind of get them excited, to get that finance person excited by showing them the fork it over. And then the empowerment to say, you can do this. If it is in the spirit of delivering a better experience for the customer, you can do it. Go, go forth. You can do it. Here's some budget. We're going to make it as easy as possible for you to do something as long as it is in the spirit of making a better experience for the customer. And that can basically be either creating an experience where one doesn't exist or removing a bad experience. And so if we just empower our employees to do that and really inspire them into believing that every employee is in the customer experience business, that's how we start to really differentiate. Because there's so many, I could sit here for hours and give you thousands of examples of little things that we can do because they're everywhere. And so I say, why prioritize them? Let's do them all. Let's do all the great ideas that we have. And let's let every employee have the ability to work on them. I really, really respect that, especially because it's not just you saying, leave it to one department to handle it and take care of it and implement all these different things. It's do this as a team effort across the whole company, because I really like the fact that everybody puts this experience head on and everyone has it in a different view. What's really interesting about what you said is one thing that you hear a lot in the startup world and the entrepreneurship world is basically this idea of where you're thinking about your business model, you're thinking about all these different aspects of your business. How do you come up with the good ideas? It's not looking within your own industry. It's actually looking at something completely different. And so, so many times we're put through these exercises of how do you find something that's completely separate from what you're working on that you can apply to your own? And I think a really good example of that is actually the insurance company Lemonade. Do you know Lemonade? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And they've done a whole different approach to insurance. They've made it fun. They've made it interesting. They've made it engaging. All the chatbots that you interact with are AI focused and they actually really help you make claims. So it's gone against the traditional insurance ways because just like you said, why would you look at your competitors? Because A, already being done. B, who said that that's the right way to do it? 
and see it's nothing new and exciting. And so what they did was they went completely different. They actually took an approach of almost like an experience company and they made it fun because everyone thinks that insurance is not that much fun. It's not a sexy business to be in. And they said, why not? And so people absolutely go bonkers for this company because they really enjoy just having a good experience with them and actually seeing something that cares more about the experience versus just selling you a product. And I feel a company like that probably has taken advice out of your book of something of the sorts of having every person in the company think about experience because every single interaction you have with that company, fantastic. And so I think a little goes a long way is kind of the sense that I'm getting from you from all the different little touch points and all these accumulations of things. Yeah. And one thing I would just add in terms of how do you actually do this is experiences around us every day. We are all consumers in our lives, right? So we are all shopping online, going to restaurants, visiting schools and hospitals and amusement parks and movie theaters. And I mean, we're just living our life and there's experience all around us. I wrote a blog post recently based on something that my mother always tells me to this day when I travel. She says, son, be aware of your surroundings. Such a mother thing to say, right? (laughs) But I thought about this and I was like, you know, she inadvertently stumbled on a really good mantra for customer experience. Be aware of your surroundings. Pay attention to the experiences that you have as a consumer and note when you are happy, excited, enthused, in love with a brand. Mm. And then keep that in your head when you go back to work, whatever job you have in whatever industry and say, well, hold on, I felt this way over here when this happened. What if we did something similar? Or what if we took it and made it our own and did something here? And I think if you pay attention, if you just open up your eyes, and this is a skill that I've developed over a long period of time, which is just to keep my eyes open everywhere I go. I look at every sign that is posted everywhere because I love a great sign. I love it when somebody uses the words on a sign to entertain me. They didn't have to. They could have just instructed me to go this way, but instead they made it fun. And wow, that's a great opportunity. Maybe I don't have any physical signs because I don't have a physical location, but I've got a website and that's basically a whole bunch of signs (laughs) and I've got a mobile app. And so it's a communication point. And so there's something you can find experiences in places, good and bad that you don't expect. I'll give you another one. I was in a hospital recently. My dad had a really minor procedure and he had to spend one night in the hospital and he's 80 years old. He's in his hospital bed and the nurse comes in and he's pointing to this whiteboard, which most hospital rooms have. It's got like the nurse's name and any medications he's on, all this stuff on it, right? Only one tiny problem. He can't see the board from the bed because he's 80 years old and his sight isn't <laughs> as good as it used to be. So they've got this board over there, which is a really nice idea, except they haven't figured out yet that the patient is useless. See it. And my dad's not going to say he can't see it. He's too proud for that, right? He's not going right. to tell them. So that feels to me like, well, is that a big thing or a little thing? It's a little thing that turned into a big thing, right? I think the board was on wheels, like not hard. They can roll it closer, but it's a little thing that makes a huge impact. And I noticed that. And then I thought to myself, okay, where else is this applicable? Well, my mom, who is almost 80, when I pick up her iPhone, it does not look like my iPhone because she has the Zoom set to like 700%. And there's like four words on every screen. And I don't even know how you look at this thing. But if you are not designing your mobile app for my mom, then you're missing out on the baby boomer population, which is the largest population of any of the generations. And so we have to be thinking about this stuff. It's not how I use a mobile app, but if I design it for me, 
and I miss out on my parents, I'm not creating a good experience for them. And what do you think is going to happen? They're going to go to a company that does pay attention to their experience. So these are just things I have observed in my own life simply by keeping my eyes open and being aware of my surroundings. And again, I think this is something that we have to train our employees, every one of them to do. Because if you think about the power of all of the experiences that your employees have as consumers, and you can bring that back into your business, you're going to have a million ideas. I love that. Should we bring your mom onto the podcast next? (laughs) (laughs) She'd be great. It's so true though, because even as you said, be aware of your surroundings, I was even just thinking to myself, when are times where I've been noticeably delighted or upset or surprised by something? And you know what a very random example that came to my mind is when Apple released the new iOS and the feature that they had where when you like, let's say you're authenticating something and they text you the code that you're going to be using instead of having to go back to your messages, copy it and go back to the app, it's already there as an autofill. So Absolutely cool. genius. Yeah. <laughs> just, it blew my exactly. mind. Exactly. It's a little incredible. thing, but you notice it and it makes you appreciate Apple more because they pay attention yeah. to stuff like that. It's why exactly. people love their products so much, right? They're intuitive. Yeah. They're easy to use. You can pull a brand new iPad out of its box and whether you are three or 93, you'll be able to turn it on and use it. With no instruction, they don't even have an instruction book. I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but certainly when I was growing up, you bought any product at all. It would come with like a thick instruction (laughs) book. Now we have the most powerful product in the world in our hands. It doesn't come with any instructions because it doesn't need them. Brilliant. No, that's really interesting. And I'm curious to know, just to wrap up this whole conversation, because I'm sure you have so many examples, but I'm really curious to see what brand you say. But what is an example of one of your favorite brands that does customer experience really, really well, other than the experience maker? <laughs> so I'm going to give you a brand that a lot of people mention, but I'm going to tell you a story that you haven't heard. Oh, Fair enough? Excited. All right. So the brand is Chewy, the pet supplies okay. company, yep. which just does customer experience so well every time. The story I'm going to tell you was actually on my podcast. A listener called us up and gave us this story. Her name is Marianko. Mariangel has a long-haired cat named Roma. She goes on to Chewy to buy Roma some litter, and she finds that the litter, for whatever reason, I don't know the details, doesn't work very well for long-haired cats. I think the cat was like tracking it around the house or something. So she goes back to the website, and she leaves a negative review for the litter. Now, this is not Chewy's litter. They're just the distributors, right? So it's some other brand, and she loves Chewy. But the reason she left the negative review, she told me, was she wanted to warn other long-haired cat owners that this one probably wouldn't work for them. Okay, she thinks that's it. That's the end of the transaction. Next day, she gets an unsolicited email from Chewy. It says, Dear Marianne we're so sorry that the litter didn't work out for you. We've gone ahead and refunded your purchase. Now, she never asked for a refund. It then goes on to say, we did some research for you and found four other litters that we think will be better for your long-haired cat. Okay, so they paid attention to the review and proactively wanted to help. Please give our love to Roma. That's right. Oh. Chewy knows the name of Marianne's cat and is not afraid to use it in a customer service email. We have a furry wall of fame up on our wall. And if you send us a picture, we'd love to put her up on it. The email is signed, Many Whiskers, Stephanie H. <laughs> I believe this is the greatest customer service email in the history of either customer service or email. But here's the most brilliant part about it. I am convinced, without having talked to Chewy, that it's a template. Let me show you what I mean. Dear so-and-so, we're sorry that you didn't like such and such. We're giving you a refund. Here's four other examples of such and such that you might want. Give our love to so-and-so. We'd love to put them up on our wall. Many whiskers, so-and-so. That's not hard. 
And yet that was the most customized, personalized email I have literally ever seen from a brand. But they've built it into their structure so they can scale it, so that they can do this on a regular basis. They probably have a computer scanning the reviews, pulling out the negative ones, and probably pre-filling half of it without them doing anything. Of course, previous things have had to happen. They've had to ask Marianne at some point for the name of her cat so that they could use it when they needed to use it, right? There's got to be some method by which they find alternative products, but that's not hard. I mean, any good e-commerce site is already recommending alternative products to us when we're shopping. So it's this idea, though, of treating every interaction like it's important and like it is make or break. It's possible that Marianne could have said, you know what? Forget it. Chewy sold me some litter I don't like. I'm out of here. But do you think at the end of this whole scenario, she likes Chewy more or less after having a bad experience with the litter, right? (laughs) Chewy. And so this is just a way of thinking that I think more companies need to do. One other tiny example just related. I think one of the things that Amazon has done over the years that has been very unheralded is they have continued to improve the returns process. They have made it easier and easier and easier to the point now where you don't have to package it up or put a label on it or anything. They make it so easy. Now, why would you want to make it easy for people to return stuff to you? Because they're going to come back and shop more with you, (laughs) right? Because they like that it's easy. You could make it hard to return from a company once I ordered a shirt for my son that he asked for, and it came in the wrong size. And so in order to return it, they wanted me to ship it back to England on my own dime. I'm like, it's going to cost me more to ship it back to England than the darn shirt costs. Seriously. That's not a kind of experience you want to leave people with. I'm not going back to that store ever. But Amazon making it easy for me to return makes me want to go back and shop more with. So those are the kinds of examples I think of in terms of just trying to be different. And, you know, look, let's be perfectly honest. Everything you buy at Chewy, you can buy on Amazon. Chewy is not always the least expensive. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But people love the company because of how they get treated. And again, you've probably heard lots of stories about Chewy and some of the things that they do that are amazing that they do repetitively. But I thought that email just absolutely blew me away. That is awesome. What a great story. I'm going to leave it there because I know it's just incredible. Awesome. Very quickly before I let you go, what we do on every episode is just a quick lightning round. So after all that insight and wisdom you just dropped on us, I'd like to wrap it up with our own little ribbon of lightning round question, just to get to know a little bit more about you. So first question, your podcast experienced this, even though it's coming to an end from the world of marketing, who would have been your dream guest to have on? Actually, my customer experience sort of man crush hero is Howard Schultz, the founder and CEO of Starbucks. Starbucks. I think they just do an unbelievable job with every facet of the experience. So much so that sometimes you forget that it's not actually always about the coffee. It's really about a whole lot more and why people love that brand. Love that. Okay. Second question. Is marketing more of an art or a science, do you think? Oh, that's a great question. If I had to choose one, because obviously it's a little bit of both, I would actually choose the art because I think it is about creativity and innovation. And yes, you want to use the numbers to sort of guide the way, but numbers alone are not going to get somebody to come or stay at your business. Last but not least, you are suddenly in charge of marketing for a superhero of your choosing. Who would you pick and how do you market them? Wow. (laughs) I have never been asked that one. Wow. (laughs) I'll keep things interesting here, Dan. (laughs) Yes, that is incredible. I'm going to choose this based on 
the superhero movies and which one are ones I have really, really loved. I was blown away by the first Wonder Woman movie. Now, fun fact I've never shared on any podcast. I was a huge, huge fan of the Wonder Woman TV show with Linda Carter back in the late 70s, early 80s. But I walked out of that movie theater with my daughter and I could see her just walking a little taller. Like, here we just watched this movie with this woman superhero kicking butt and, you know, and just kind of owning it. And I looked over at her and she didn't even have to say anything. And I just loved that she got that feeling from it. So... I'm going to pick that I'd like to market for Wonder Woman. And that's part of what I would be marketing is inspiring little girls that they can do anything they want. I love it. I became a huge Wonder Woman fan after that movie. I'm not even a superhero fan that much. But when I watched the movie, I was like, man, she is just incredible. Look at her go. And so now I have a The only problem is they decided to make a sequel, which was... Yeah, yeah, I wish they don't talk about the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe in your marketing of Wonder Woman, you can fix a little bit of that. (laughs) If we could somehow erase that and try again, I would like to do that. Awesome. Okay, that was the lightning round. And we'll just end it off on a last quick question, which is, is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? I sort of answered it already, which is be aware of your surroundings. That's the mantra. And yes, you should be aware of your surroundings when you visit a new city and just pay attention to what's going on. But yes, also in customer experience and in marketing, you know, it's true with marketing too. Why do we like the kinds of marketing that we like? Why do we find a certain Super Bowl commercial funny and another one stupid? And what can we take from the funny one and apply to the way that we communicate in our business, whether it's a marketing piece or it's just any sort of communication? So I'm going to go with be aware of your surroundings. I love that. Thank you so much for everything that you shared and just bringing so many different insights. My mind is racing itself of all these different things you can do. And I think it's about time I go and check out the Experience Maker book. So thank you so much for joining us today on the show, Danny. It was really lovely to have you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It was a fun conversation. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.